Today, we are going to go through the Lord's Prayer. We've been doing this series called Church on Mission, and part of being on mission is just simply knowing how to pray. And as I mentioned last week, I think most people struggle with prayer and wish their prayer life was better. I know that's how I feel, and I know a lot of people feel that way. And so in light of that, I wanted to just take us through uh, the, lo- the prayer that the Lord Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us now, and then we'll read the scripture. Jesus, even as you taught us to pray, I pray that you would take us deeper into prayer and learning about it right now, that where we are discouraged by what seems to be a lack of answer to the prayers, that you would encourage us, where we feel distant from you, that you would draw us back into relationship and prayer, and that you would really make us a church that is known for prayer, not because we want a great reputation, but because we have a great Savior who answers prayers. And so I pray this morning that you would be with us, that you would reveal yourself in new ways through your word, that you would show us your grace and your power, and that you really would change us on a heart level as we learn about the prayer you taught us to pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. We're in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15, and I'm going to read it aloud. It's on the screen behind me as well. Jesus was talking to his disciples and said this, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others' offenses, your Father will not forgive your offenses. The Word of God. I'm going to ask you a tough question. Do you think about yourself a lot? Do you think about yourself a lot? I mean, of course you do in one sense because you are you and you've got feelings and you've got plans and you've got hopes and you've got dreams. So you think about yourself. But let me ask you, do you think about yourself a lot? Do you think about yourself a lot? You know, we struggle with this in our culture because we, our culture is really big on having a high self-esteem, having a healthy view of self, and amen to that. But I'm not even sure we know what that is in our culture. Um, you know, we look at social media all the time, and that reinforces thinking about ourselves because we automatically compare ourselves to what we see. Even though, even though we're looking at someone else, we're still thinking about our lives compared to their lives. So we think about ourselves a lot. Not only that, but even the things I find 
that I like about myself and maybe that you like about yourself, it's usually in comparison to someone else. I like that I'm like this way because a lot of other people aren't. We're comparing ourselves. We sort of can't get away from just this healthy self-esteem where we're thinking about ourselves. Do you think about yourself a lot? Our culture tells us you don't think enough of yourself or about yourself enough. You're the star of the show. And what's interesting about this is we're one of the first cultures that has really celebrated this way of thinking about ourselves. Tim Keller points out that it wasn't really until the 21st century or the 20th century that having a very high view of yourself was a good thing. In fact, in most cultures, the, the root of all evil was when people thought too highly of themselves. But in our culture, we're told, think about yourself a lot. It's funny, our culture, we would all say it's like definitely self-absorbed. Like there's a lot of self-absorption in our culture, and yet we're afraid to say we're self-absorbed. Everyone out there is self-absorbed, but not me. One of my favorite movie characters of all time is played by Philip Seymour Hoffman in the movie Along Came Polly. And Philip Seymour Hoffman plays this washed up actor named Sandy Lyle. And I just, I cannot watch this movie without looking at Sandy Lyle and just laughing because it's so hilarious how self-absorbed he is. As a child, he was in this movie that was wildly popular. And he, uh, and he, had a lot of fame and a lot of popularity, and he got used to that. And then he never was in another movie after that. And this character, Sandy Lyle, spends the rest of his life self-absorbed because he, he thought that he should have had this awesome movie career. And yet he's kind of washed up in a nobody. And his, his self-absorption really comes from this place of pain in his life. Now, I don't normally show movie clips in, in the service because I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to bring you the word. But I think this is a humorous glimpse into some things about ourselves when we see Sandy Lyle. And in this scene, he's in his 40s, and he is in this community theater, and he's still convinced that he should be the star of the show. And they're rehearsing for this play, Jesus Christ Superstar, and Sandy says, I should play every part because I'm the star of the show. He's completely self-absorbed. Let's watch. One, two, three, and... What's the bus? Tell me what's happening. 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 Why should you want to know? Don't you mind about the future? Try to think ahead. Uh, Sandy? Save tomorrow for tomorrow. Think about today instead. Sandy? What? That's my song. I know it's your song, but I felt something and I decided to go with it. Look, here's the deal. I'm the star of the show, okay? So if I decide to bust out a solo, do me a favor and give me the freedom to rock out. From the top, okay, Wansuck? So the play's going well. I think it's going to be fun. I mean, I suppose it wouldn't surround me with a bunch of amateurs. Uh -huh. Isn't that like the point of community theater? Yeah, whatever, Ruben. Oh, you can laugh. It's, it's silly, and I, I wanted it to be. Um, Sandy has been told he's playing the part of Judas, 
and that's not good enough. He's got to play the part of Jesus as well, which has a whole other layer of symbolism in it. But the point is, Sandy's completely self-absorbed, and his actions are just ridiculous. And so maybe you can't relate to how he acts out, but what you can relate to is the pain that Sandy acts out of. See, as I said, Sandy was in a movie when he was younger, and that movie was wildly popular, and he thinks, I should be a movie star. I'm the star of the show. And what he finds is that he used to matter, but he doesn't anymore. What he's found is that his career tanked, and he has no control over it. He has this longing for greatness and to be on the big screen, but he's in a community theater and he feels insignificant. And that shame defines him. It really owns him. And his self-absorption really comes out of that pain, that focus on self, that I'm the star of the show, I'm performing because i got to prove something about myself. And that self-absorption really comes out of a self-despair. And I think at times we can relate to that the longings, the lack of control, the feelings of insignificant. I, I think, if we're honest, there's a little bit of Sandy Lyle in each of us. There's a little bit of Sandy Lyle in each of us. And my hope this morning as we look through the Lord's Prayer is that the Lord's Prayer will actually free us from our self-absorption. The Lord's Prayer will actually free us from needing to be the star of the show. That the Lord's Prayer would free us from the Sandy Lyle in each one of us. What's key, though, is that the Lord's Prayer is not a ritual. It's not something that if you say ten times, something magical happens. See, that's still the star of the show mentality. That's still the Sandy Lyle. If I can just perform the prayer, something will happen. And Jesus says that's not how you pray. In fact, in verse 5, he says... Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. He goes on to say in the next verse, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's not that praying in public is bad, it's just Jesus is calling out that Sandy Lyle type of prayer. I'm here to get attention, I'm here, I want people to see me. I'm going to use prayer to perform. Jesus also calls out a different type of praying. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Some people are tempted to perform in front of people. Other times in prayer, people are tempted to perform before God. Both of them come from a Sandy Lyle that lives in each of us that says, I'm insignificant unless I can prove something, unless I can perform, unless I can pretend and get attention. And that's not what Jesus is about in prayer. Both of those types of prayers are just self-absorption. It's star of the show attitude. And the Lord's Prayer, it is a ritual in a sense because he tells us what to say, but it's a ritual that should lead us out of self-focus and into a relationship. The Lord's Prayer should lead us into a relationship with the Lord of the prayer. Ken Bailey was a pastor, and he went and did some training 
uh, in the Soviet Union after, the com after communism fell. And he met this young woman who was in her 20s who was a strong believer. And he said, you know, you lived during the communist era in your country. How did you become a Christian? There were no churches that you could go and hear the, the good news of Jesus. There were probably no other believers that were willing to tell you because they were, they were afraid. And she said, well, the government would let us pray the Lord's Prayer at funerals. So I would go to funerals over and over and over again, and we'd pray the Lord's Prayer. And I did not know what it meant. I didn't know who we were praying to. And then after communism fell, I was so curious about what the Lord's Prayer was about that I began to research it and find its meaning. And in understanding the Lord's Prayer, I met the Lord of the prayer. The Lord's Prayer isn't about a ritual. It's about that you would meet the Lord of the prayer through the prayer and be freed from yourself. Be freed from self-absorption. Be freed from thinking you have to be the star of the show in your own mind. Be freed from the Sandy Lyle that lives in each one of us. Jesus starts out by saying, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. We've become so familiar with the prayer that the shocking nature of the first two lines kind of loses its significance. Though our Bibles and Greek scholars believe that Jesus use the Aramaic term for father, which was very different in that day. Most people prayed ritualistic prayers in the sacred language of Hebrew. But Jesus starts off the prayer by saying, our father, which in Aramaic is Abba. Abba. One of the most simple words that you could say. And when Jesus chooses a common language rather than a sacred language, he's telling us something about prayer. It's not about choosing the right words. It's not about finding the right language. It's about intimacy and relationship. How often in your life do you have to search for the perfect words in that meeting you're going to, in the confrontation with the other person, in your Facebook posts that you're trying to get just right, and what Jesus says here is there's no sacred language. Talk. Talk to your Father in heaven. He's the Father that knows what you need. He's the Father who watches out for the sparrows and has the numbers of your hair numbered. He's merciful. Prayer is not about pretending. It's about an authentic relationship. And if you notice, when Jesus corrects the hypocrites and the pagans as he uses that language in the first part of this verse, he doesn't say, just stop doing those things. Rather, he points them to who the Father is. Pray in private, because that's where your Father will meet you. Don't heap up empty phrases as some sort of ritualistic prayer, because your Father already knows what you need. See, it's about a relationship with God the Father. It's about taking your eyes off of yourself unto Abba Father. One of my favorite prayers when I don't know what to pray is simply this, Abba, I belong to you. And often I find that the first time I say it, I don't actually believe it. And so I just keep saying it. And I keep praying it until my heart holds on to it and knows that I belong to Father God because of what Jesus has done for me. And I find that as that resonates in my heart, I actually stop looking at myself. I stop being self-centered. I stop thinking about myself all the time because I begin to be in awe of who God is and the fact that he loves me. 
And that's really where Jesus starts us off in this prayer. Father, in heaven, your name be honored as holy. God is the God who knows us and yet rules over all things. Really, the, the starting point of getting over yourself is realizing that you're not the center of the universe. Like the planets asking the sun to revolve around them, it's just like us thinking that God revolves around us. And part of the Lord's Prayer is starting off by just saying, God, things revolve around you. You're the Father in heaven that I have relationship with, and yet all glory and honor and praise are yours. It's challenging. It's challenging to, to, to balance Abba Father in heaven with your name be honored as holy because God invites us into intimacy with him through prayer. And so we're given intimacy, but we don't share commonality with God. There's intimacy with God, but not commonality. In other words, God loves you, but he's not like you. God loves you, but he's not like you. Though we're invited to call him Abba Father, he is still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's still the God that revealed himself in a burning bush to Moses. And when Moses said, what is your name? God said, I am. I am who I am. I do not need anybody else to exist. All existence is based on me. I am the God who remains faithful. I am. I am holy. I am different. God loves you, but he's not like you. The prophet Isaiah experienced this face to face. In Isaiah chapter 6, he has this vision of God seated on the throne and the robe, uh, uh, the, his robe fills the temple and there's these angels surrounding God in glory and the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His, his glory fills the earth. And in that moment, Isaiah realizes God is not like me. In fact, in the presence of God, I feel unclean. I see my own sin. And Isaiah cries out, woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips and because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. God loves you, but he's not like you. And when Isaiah who's a prophet, whose job is to speak eloquently, who the most gifted thing about him is the words he says. When he comes into contact with the holy God, all he can say is, my lips are unclean. The best thing about me is not like him. It's tainted. It's broken. It's not holy. We have intimacy with God, but not commonality. He is different. He's not like us. And as we pray, your name be honored as holy, we're inviting change in our life. By praying, God, your name be honored as holy, we're not all of a sudden telling God, make yourself holy. That's like telling the ocean to be wet or a fire to be hot. God is already holy. Rather, we're calling ourselves to adjust to his holiness and recognize that he is the center of all things and the weight of his glory could crush us. Yesterday, David and I went out on, on his boat and we had a great time and we were right around the Port Everglades entrance. 
and this boat comes whizzing by, and the, the guys on the boat were trying to clear a path for this massive cargo freighter. And I mean, this thing was monstrous. It, it was at least from where I'm standing to Hollywood Boulevard. It, it, was, it was humongous. And when, we, when the boat went by and said, get out of the way, there's something coming through and it's not gonna change course, you need to change course. We looked and we saw this freighter and we thought, let's go that way. We'll, we'll just play it safe, we'll get way out of the way. And as we were going out of the way, away from the boat, the boat's coming this way towards Port Everglades, we passed this other boat that's going right towards the freighter. And I look and the driver of the boat has his legs kicked up, hand on the wheel, back towards the freighter. And I go, surely he sees where he's headed. It's getting close. We're within at least three football fields, and that's not much when you're in a boat. So we realize he does not see the freighter coming. And I turn around, I'm like, hey, they've passed us. Hey, he looks over at me right as the cargo ship pulls its horn. I mean, it was like comedic. The guy like, went like this and turned around. And, and for boating, it was actually a close call. The freighter is not going to change course. Because of the weight of what it is and the directions it's going, everyone else has to adjust. And when we say your name be honored as holy, we're not making God something that he's not. We're inviting ourselves to change based on who he is. It's a recognition of the beauty of his character and the weight of his glory. And though in our culture that feels like death, it's actually life and freedom. Because God in all his beauty and all his character is writing a much better story than any of us could. When Jesus invites us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he's inviting us into God's story. Nothing will change us and take us out of our little worlds of self-absorption and longing for greatness like getting to see God's greatness and his plan to fix the entire world. And that's exactly what we're asking when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. When Jesus came on this earth, he, he came to bring salvation and God's love and his mercy and his justice and his righteousness and his goodness into this broken world. And even though sin and brokenness still exist, we get to take part of the renewal of all things. We get to take part of God fixing things now. Because you see, there's still many relationships that are broken. There's still many lonely people that need the love of God. There's still many injustices in our city, in our country, in our world. And there's still many people who do not know about salvation through Jesus Christ. There are many ways that earth does not look like heaven. And whenever we experience those ways that earth is not like it is in heaven where God rules and reigns, we're called to pray. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we're not just called to pray. By praying that prayer, we're inviting God to use us to enter into the brokenness that we see in our city, that we see on our streets. Where there's a lack of love, we become God's agent of love. Where there's no goodness, we become God's agent of goodness. Where there's someone who needs mercy, we're the ones who show them that mercy. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Use us to make earth like it is in heaven. Nothing 
could take us out of our self-absorption more than praying for God and how it's like in heaven to come to earth. And then praying that we would be able to participate in that story. You see, that phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done, it's not just empty. It's a deeply missional prayer where we ask God to use us. And we ask God to use us in our families, in our streets, in our apartment buildings, in workplaces, in our city, in our state, in our world. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We live in a culture of consumerism. Culture of consumerism where everyone wants more and yet no one's happy until they get more and then they get more and they're still not happy. We don't know when to stop and we also don't know how to share. Give us this day our daily bread. Pray for what you need today. The God who feeds the sparrows and has your hair on your head number will provide for you. But not only that, this is a missional request as well because it does not say, give me today my daily bread. It says, give us today our daily bread. And as you pray that request and you look and see that you have two loaves of bread in your hand and that the person next to you has none, all of a sudden you become the answer to their requests for daily bread. What do you have two of? Can you share one and say, I have been provided for today. God will provide for me tomorrow, so I'm going to provide for this person today. Give us today our daily bread. And as we begin to understand the character of God and his great love for us, it settles us down from the pining and the anxiety and the self-absorption. Will I make it? Will I pay my bills? Rest. He sees what you need. He gives us this line in the prayer because he wants you to pray it and he wants to answer it. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we, has also, as we have also forgiven our debtors. The Sandy Lyle in us says, everyone owes you. You're the star of the show. Everyone owes you a debt. But when you encounter the holiness of God, you realize you owe him a debt. Theologians talk about sins of omission and sins of commission. Sins of omission are things that we should have done that we do not do. It's the person who we see in need and we decide we're not going to love them. It's the neighbor who needs something from us and we don't give it to them. Those are sins of omission. Sins of commission are the things that we shouldn't do that we do do. It's knowing that we shouldn't lie and we tell a little lie. It's knowing that we shouldn't be greedy and yet we are. It's cutting corners when we shouldn't and all the things that God lists in the scriptures. And the reality is when you begin to unpack sins of omission and sins of commission, we are deeply guilty of these things. We owe God a debt and that debt comes from our sin and produces separation and relationship between us and him. And if we stay in that place of separation upon death, we, we are eternally separated from him. 
But in God's great love for us, the Father sent the Son, and the Son came and said, I will pay the debt. Jesus went to the cross and became sin for us. In other words, he absorbed the wrath of God for you on the cross so that your debt was cleared. Not partially, not mostly, but fully. Fully paid for. When Jesus on the cross says, it is finished, your sins from the past, your sins from the present, your sins from the future, your sins of omission and your sins of commission have been canceled. And as we begin to understand that, and as we begin to pray the Lord's Prayer, we realize that the Lord's Prayer really leads us to the Lord Jesus, who really is the star of the show. Not self-absorbed, but gave himself up for you, absorbing the wrath of God on your behalf. And when we see that our need for forgiveness has been met, it changes the way we view the debts that others owe us. If all my sins have been paid for, I now have a new power to forgive those who have wronged me deeply. Whether it was sins of omission or sins of commission, all mine have been forgiven. And it's not that it doesn't hurt and it's not that it's not a struggle and it's not that it doesn't cause tears, but I now have a new power because I've met the Lord of the prayer and he's died for me. I now have a new power to forgive. And that self-absorption turns into gospel astonishment. I cannot believe what Jesus has done for me. And so surely I can forgive you. And the forgiveness that we receive overflows into forgiveness for others. Rose Mapendo was a Congolese woman who lived in the Congo during the height of the conflict there between Tutsi and Hutu. And her husband was killed by the, a neighboring enemy tribe, and her and her children were imprisoned. And great atrocities were done to them while they were imprisoned. And Rose just began to cry out in prayer. She began to cry out in prayer to Jesus. And after praying and praying and praying and praying to be able to forgive, she said this, I made a decision to forgive the people who thought we were enemies. And when I changed that, when I made the decision to forgive them, I became free. She didn't say, I became free from prison. She said, I became free from anger, from bitterness, from the need for revenge. She cried out in prayer and was able to forgive. And what that looked like is while she was living in prison, she actually began to befriend the jailers who were imprisoning her. And now I know this is radical and I know this sounds crazy, but she had such a spirit of forgiveness towards the jailers that she actually named some of her children after the very men who were imprisoning her. Nothing more could say, I truly and freely forgive you than I'm going to name my children after you. That's shocking in our culture, and it's so shocking because it's the very opposite of self-absorption. It's the very opposite. It's self-sacrifice. And yet that story is so shocking because it's amazing. The, the forgiveness that God gives us 
overflows into forgives us to others and allows us to write such a better story, such a more amazing story than any of our self-absorption or anything that the Sandy Lyle in us would tell us to do. That comes from realizing that we're not the star of the show, but what because G, what Jesus has done on our behalf gives us a new power to in in and write new stories in people's lives. It frees us from ourselves. It frees us from thinking about ourselves all the time. And it's not that I'm saying whatever wrong's been done to you, just get over it. No, look to the cross of Jesus. Find your sins forgiven and you'll find a new power to enter into other people's sins against you in a totally different way. That's the supernatural power of the cross. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, we will be tempted daily. The Sandy Lyle in us will speak to us and speak lies about being self-absorbed, about looking out for number one, about being the star of the show. And though, though we know those come from places of fear and desperation and self-absorption, we do need to cry out to the Lord of the prayer. Help us. We'll turn back. We'll listen to those voices. Help us. Free me from myself. As I look to you, remind me of my purpose in you. Remind me that my significance isn't something I do or don't do, but it's my relationship with you. And as I look to you and find fresh forgiveness, allow me to let go of myself and forgive others. Jesus is the star of the show, and as we realize that and enter into that through the Lord's prayer, as we meet the Lord of the prayer through the prayer, it really does change us, and it really does allow you to let go of things in new ways and find freedom in the midst of the struggle. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you've given us this prayer, and we thank you that it is about relationship with you. We pray that you would give us more freedom from ourselves and that we would, we would leave here um, not just learning new things, but really empowered and inspired to meet you through prayer. Father, as we live our lives, we will desperately need the theme of every one of these lines. And I pray that you would help us to pray them with boldness to you and give us perseverance and faith. And Lord, make us a people who forgive freely. I know that there are deep wrongs that have been done to each of us, but through your power, Lord, we really can enter into those things in new ways. And we pray that you would allow us to do so. And all God's people said, amen.